0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Red Handed early and ad-free. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Did you know we're eating and drinking roughly a credit card's worth of plastic every single week? Yep, yeah, that's disgusting. So Blue Land set out to do something about it. Eliminate the need for single-use plastics in the products we reach for the most by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. The idea is simple. They offer refillable cleaning products with a beautiful, cohesive design that looks great on your counter. Blueland even has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com redhanded You won't want to miss this. blueland.com redhanded red-handed for 15% off. One more time, that's blueland.com redhanded red-handed for 15% off now. You know we love Shopify. Shopify is like an all-knowing retail wizard that's always got your back. A retail wizard that can accept payments, manage inventory, and sell anything you can imagine, anywhere you can think of. Online, easy. In person, piece of cake. The best bit about the all-knowing retail wizard that is Shopify is that it knows exactly what's going on across your business. So no more guessing what's selling well online and what's doing better in person. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash red handed, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash red handed to take your retail business to the next level today. One more time, that's Shopify.com slash red handed.
1: I'm Hannah. I'm Saruti. And welcome to Red Handed. I think this might be episode 150. It is. I was going to say, do you know what this is? It's episode 150.
0: 150 episodes in not even three years yet, is it? And that's not even including all the bonus episodes, the Patreon episodes, all that.
1: Fuck, that's
0: so much stuff. That's
1: mad. I was about to say something incredibly stupid. (laughs) I was like, how have we done 150 in less than three years when there's 365 weeks in a
0: year? So, yeah, I get it now. I got there 52
1: before I made my own moan. And we only take Christmas week off. We do. There are only 52 weeks, not 365, but I get. Yeah, I know that now.
0: (laughs) Good. We're all on the same page, guys. And this is episode 150. I just want to say like, a massive thank you. Um, those of you who listened last week, you'll already be aware of hashtag fuck awards, hashtag awards gay, all of that. Um,
1: hashtag the Sex Pistols never had a number one. That's how <laughs> I like to look at it.
0: Thank you to everyone who has been messaging us, tweeting us. Just thank you so much because it does mean so
1: much. A double thank you to the people who are tweeting the British Podcast Awards. I you mean, get extra points. That is quite funny.
0: Yeah, carry on, if if that's what you feel inclined to do. (laughs) As you were. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. It means the world to us. So if you haven't done so yet, or if you have a couple of spare email addresses from which you haven't voted yet, please head on over to britishpodcastawards.com slash vote. The link is in the episode description and chuck a vote our way. Once again, people are still asking. You do not have to be British. You do not need to live in Britain. You can be anywhere in the world and still vote for us. So please do that.
1: Do you want to know what I did last night? Oh. I got a bit drunk because we got one of those, um, I'm not going to say the name of the company because they are not paying me. Basically, there's an offer code going around right now where you can get 12 bottles of wine for 50 quid and it's like nice wine and they send it to your house. Oh, I should have emailed it to you actually. Oh. So we did that and we got through all of the white because it's hot. So I, I anyway, this is how Hannah gets drunk. Anyway, so I got a bit drunk and my latest lockdown habit is giving quite large speeches to my empty bedroom. I also relive arguments that I had years ago. You know, the standard. All that good stuff. Yeah. And this time, I imagined that we'd won the listeners' choice and we gave a a rabble-rousing speech and we'd researched just how many of the nominees were women across the board and then we gave a percentage versus percentage of podcast listeners being women. And then we burnt it to the ground. I applaud. Drunk wine fantasy, Hannah. I think she's on to something. So, guys,
0: just vote, vote, vote.
1: Did you see someone who tweeted being like, "Oh, you can vote as many times as you like"? And then the British Podcast Awards commented on the tweet being like, uh, "It's actually one per email." And you're like, "Fucking all right, fucking yeah. Lisa, Jesus." But
0: that's good to know.
1: So it's not just people resubmitting the
0: same email and not getting counted. So if you've got multiple yeah. emails, you can vote that many times. But you can do it for the same podcast. Hawkeye in Australia moneyball the system. <laughs> So, yes, let's talk about what we're going to give you guys for being such lovely people voting for us. So, basically, here's the plan. Last year, you might remember that getting us into the top ten meant we gave you a whole extra bonus episode. It was on Carla Hamolka and Bernardo. I can't even remember his first name. Ken? Paul, Peter. Pete. Ken was his nickname, the Ken and Barbie doll. I think it's Paul. Paul Bernardo, that's the one. So, this year, we're going to make it interesting. If you guys get us back into the top ten we are going to do a whole full-length extra bonus episode for you guys. That's happening. And this year, we're going we're gonna to do it as a democracy because uh, I'm red-handed here. We love democracy, which is why you should vote. Whatever episode you guys would like us to do, we're going to do that as the bonus episode. Then, if you get us into the top three for the listener's choice, we're going to do two whole bonus extra episodes. Again, episodes of your choice. Then, if we win, if we win the listener's choice category, we will be giving you three whole extra bonus episodes as well as a fucking live stream for everybody because we feel like you deserve it if we win. So there you go. Those are the awards rewards scheme that we have come up with. Spooky Bitch Merch and Get In The Bin merch is still out. It's going to be out until the 12th of June. We've also added um, some extra sizes because I know people are um, asking for an extended size range. That has now happened, so go check it out. If you want some, get some because it's going to go away in a couple of weeks.
1: So get it while you can. We don't know when we will bring it back. Um, we maybe we will never bring it back. That's a lie. But probably not. At least not until October. So g- get it while it's hot. Uh, I don't know. I'm just that was maybe one of our
0: more uh, one of our least put together intros, but it's done now. <laughs> uh, we've really nailed this professionalism in podcasting by episode 150.
1: Case, anyone? Yeah, can I interest you in a case? Can I interest you in a true crime case? Actually, we're going to start with a feeling. <laughs> I'm really scraping the barrel about to start these episodes now. Uh, so let's all just uh, take a moment to think about the worst thing we've ever done. The one that haunts you when you're trying to sleep on a hot night. That, does that ever happen to you when you're like trying to go to sleep and like, your brain's just like, remember that really embarrassing thing you said 12 years ago? And then you have to think about it and then you can't sleep. Uh, sometimes sometimes I'm trying to think what the worst thing I've ever done is I
0: don't know it's terrible I've clearly repressed a lot I don't know
1: (laughs) Or you're just practically perfect in every way and have never done anything wrong. I'm sure I have done hideous things. My brain's just like, nope, get it out. Get it out of here. You don't need it. <laughs> we don't need that. It's like people who only lose their memory when they're drunk on the way home. Like they can never remember taxis because your, your brain's just like, uh, you're in the taxi now. It's fine. You don't need this. Exactly. Self-preservation. So now that we've, all apart from Sariti, all got, got the worst thing that we've ever done in our heads, let's have a big roll around in how uncomfortable that feeling is. I'm not going to tell you what the worst thing I've ever done is, and you don't have to tell each other either. Just think about it for a minute. And then think about what if, for the rest of your life, no matter how what you did to try and right that wrong, people only knew you for the worst thing you had ever done. And what if you had done that thing when you were only a child? That's the case for hundreds of people currently incarcerated who were tried as adults, which means harsher sentences and harder prison time. The now famous Sintoya Brown-Long used to be one of them. And this is her story.
0: Psychologists and lawyers that got to know Sintoya in her teenage and young adult years said that from the second she was conceived, she never had a chance. And yes, that might sound incredibly determinist, but Sintoya was certainly born into a pretty rough situation. Syntoia was conceived on her mother, Georgina Mitchell's 16th birthday. Georgina's mother, Joan Mitchell, had been married at 19. She was abused by her husband. And when she did leave him, her ex-husband sent a local heavy called Tommy round to teach her a lesson. According to Joan, this Tommy character broke into her house, snuck up on her while she was doing the dishes, beat her and then raped her. That rape resulted in a pregnancy. Now, I don't know if that pregnancy resulted in Georgina, but some say it did and some say it didn't.
1: The documentaries that I've watched on this, the families involved, really remind me of the families in Goodnight Sugar Babe. And I'm not Mm. saying that in a sort of classist, be like, oh, well, they're all super poor and white and in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. That's not the reason. They're just quite, you're just not really sure how much of what they're saying is true and how much of it is Oh well it's not my fault look at all of these horrible things that have happened to me like my life hasn't been easy either I don't know It's there's something about it that I, I'm not sure so Joan has actually been fi- has been filmed sitting next to her daughter Georgina when she's an adult and saying that she wished her own mother had had a hysterectomy at 16 implying that she believes the world would be a better place if she didn't exist and if her children didn't exist either she went on to say and this is a direct quote I really think that because if I had been as educated then as I am now, I probably would not have had my children and put them through what they've gone through. I think a lot of it is genetics. I can't really imagine how having your mum say that to your face must feel. There's just so much tragedy right from
0: the start. It really reminds me of the Root of Evil podcast. If you guys haven't listened to it, definitely go listen to it. It's, we go on about it all the time. It's so good. In that, the kids at the end... Well, they're not kids anymore. They're adults by that point. But they say, you know, I'm happy I'm here and that I am alive, but I do wish my mother had never had me. It's just the level of trauma that you would have to go through to think that. And I know it's the other way around here because it's the mother
1: saying it, but fuck, it's just... It's heartbreaking. And it really reminded me of that. Yeah, it's just like your mum being like, I genuinely wish you didn't exist. Awful. Georgina's upbringing unsurprisingly was unbelievably tragic when she was in second grade her mother joan who we just heard from shot herself in the stomach in a failed suicide attempt mental illness in all shapes and sizes was rife in the mitchell family many of georgina's immediate family made several suicide attempts at least three were fatal extreme alcoholism was also very prevalent within the mitchell clan georgina also claimed that she was molested by a relative of their neighbors and she refers to this man as Walter. Georgina says that her mother sent her off to this man who would take her off into the woods or into his house and molest her for years, giving her $20 each time. And Joan never attempted to stop it. There's an interview with Georgina when she talks about this and she talks about how her mum did nothing about it. And she says, when she's like talking about her, her mother, because she told her everything and like nothing, nothing changed. And she just says, do you really hate me that much? that you're not going to do anything about this. Honestly, Like, Cintoya never had a shot, but neither did Georgina. Fucking hell.
0: Fuck me. Again, really reminiscent of the Root of Evil story in which that kind of, like, allowing somebody to sexually abuse your child for money. I mean, is there anything worse? I genuinely... I can't think of it right now if there is. And stop thinking about it if you're trying to, because that's the way to being really sad. When Georgina grew up, she got a tattoo on her arm that read suicide. Georgina was already drinking heavily by the time she was 16 and pregnant with Santoya. In her own words, she would drink an entire large bottle of spirit every day if she had it. And if she didn't have it, she would do anything to get it. So while she was pregnant, Georgina remained in a state of total denial. She just couldn't believe it was actually happening. So she kept drinking, she kept hanging out at her friend's houses and kept partying and one of these friends was called chico brown a lot of neighborhood kids actually did hang out at chico's house his mum, elanette brown was a teacher
1: when elanette first met georgina she didn't know she was pregnant it was 1987 and everyone wore giant jumpers with numbers on them when elanette's son chico asked her if they could visit georgina in hospital she automatically thought something awful must have happened to her when Chico explained that Georgina was having a baby, Elanette's immediate reaction was to ask him if it was his, and Chico dutifully responded, "No, ma'am." So before we get going, Georgina is white, Elanette is black, Cintoya is mixed race. But I think the fact that Cintoya is mixed race like plays
0: a huge plays mm-hmm. a huge part in it. But that's for later in the story. So Cintoya was born in Fort Campbell, Kentucky on the 29th of January, 1988, and her mother Georgina, still a child herself, didn't even know how to prepare a bottle of formula milk, and she continued to drink heavily. Georgina described Cintoya as a good baby, but by the time Cintoya was eight months old, Georgina had been introduced to crack cocaine, and soon after she started using, she started to sell sex to pay for her habit. Cintoya never knew anything about her biological father other than the fact that he was of colour. Like we said, Georgina's white and Cintoya is mixed race. It became clear to Georgina that she couldn't look after the baby. So when Cintoya was two years old, she asked Eleonate Brown to adopt her. And this adoption process was about as unofficial as it gets. Actually, the specifics of what even happened to Cintoya, where she lived and who she lived with, over those very early years in her life, are difficult to even pin down.
1: The unofficial adoption thing is kind of a bit of a blessing and a curse because it means that, because it was unofficial, Elanette and Georgina could be in touch with each other and they're also, like, in the documentaries, is, like, conversations with them being in the same room. And I think if it had been an official adoption, that wouldn't be possible because I'm pretty sure that Tennessee has really strict adoption uh, rules where you're just not allowed. It's all just, like, completely shut down. I do think it's interesting, well, important to note that, like, had Cintoya stayed with Georgina, she would have been raised in a white household. But because she went to live with Elanette, she was raised in a black one. And I think that is something to be aware of. We know that Cintoya went to live with Elanette when she was two. And we also know that she was kidnapped by family members at some stage and lived in multiple different places. Whether these places were official foster homes, we don't know, but it seems incredibly unlikely. The ages of zero to four are crucial in a person's development. In Cintoya's case, this lack of stability created abandonment issues and a failure to achieve an appropriate attachment level to those around her or a healthy attitude to separation. As I've sort of inferred, there are two documentaries out there on this case, the very famous Netflix one, which is called Murder to Mercy, and an earlier one called "Sintoya Brown, Me Facing Life. Neither one go into a lot of detail about Sintoya's life with the Brown family, especially not the Netflix one. But Sintoya does tell the camera in the earlier documentary, Me Facing Life, that her adopted mother, Elanette, was a teacher and her adopted father, a truck driver. Sintoya claims that this man beat her because he felt like it. We don't know if these claims are true. Sintoya had always believed that Georgina Mitchell didn't want her. And when she was older, she discovered that her biological mother had written her many letters that had been kept away from her by Elanette. As she grew older, Sintoya’'s relationship with Elanette seems like the most stable one that she'd had throughout her entire life. She's certainly very prominent in the documentaries and she goes and sees her every other week.
0: So according to Elanette, Sintoya displayed a lot of behavioural problems throughout her childhood. She had been very manipulative and became extremely upset when anyone seemed to get too close to Elanette. Sintoya also felt safe only when it was just her and her mother alone. Sintoya's genetic predisposition to mental illness, the alcoholism she had been subjected to while developing in the womb, the unstable nature of her upbringing, and long periods of parental separation are a pretty perfect cocktail for the development potentially of a personality disorder. Now, Centoya spent much of her childhood being bounced around between regular school and Elnette called alternative school. She had several brushes with the law for pretty minor offences, and when she was about 12 years old, she started to run away from home. The first time this happened, she was gone for a few days. The next time, she was gone for a few more. And this went on and on. According to Elnette, Centoya had decided that even the alternative school was too structured for her. And she left home for good because she knew she couldn't drink, smoke or get high under Elanette's roof. Elanette simply wouldn't have allowed this. And that's what Centoia, that's what teenage Centoia wants to do. And so that is how 16-year-old Centoia Brown ended up living on the streets and various hotel rooms.
1: That's exactly how Elinette presents it as well. She was like, that's what she said. She said, you know, I've got to go and do this for me. Like she's doing some sort of masters in fine art or something.
0: Madness. Obviously, we know that teenagers aren't good at decision making. Their brains haven't fully developed yet. They're also massively attracted to danger and to risk taking. But to leave home because you can't smoke, drink, get high, to go live on the streets—it's just so tragic. I can't think of another word other than tragic to sum up this entire case.
1: And Elinette's a teacher. By the time she was sixteen, Sintoya had thirty-six sexual partners. This is difficult because. I'm really not sure what the right wording is here. Essentially, what I'm going to tell you comes from a list that Sintoya had written herself. And I'm going to use her language to get through it. Because, you know, can you say relationships? No, not really. Like, can you say sexual partners? Probably not. It's difficult. So this is this is what Sintoya wrote down. So this is her her words. Out of the 36 people she had slept with or who had raped her or however you want to put that, 11 of these were statutory rape. Three of these people were her relatives. Four were people that she actually liked, nine were protected sex, and five out of the 36 were sex for money. Cyntoia never told her mother, Elanette, what was happening, because she didn't want anyone to know all of the things that she was doing. When she talks about this in the documentary, she just sort of says, you yeah, I just didn't want anyone to know how dumb I was. It's
0: just so difficult because, like you said, these 36 people... Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much detail is sort of out there on their ages. Like, are they some of them also 16? Blah, blah, blah. Are they less than that? This is by the time she's 16. So, not the age of consent. So, if we're looking at this from a legal perspective, from the fact that she can't consent to these sexual activities, it's all, it all feels like statutory rape. But the fact that she doesn't tell anybody as well, I know she says that she doesn't want her mum to know how dumb she is, but it's also just screams of the shame. I feel like she has around potentially what's happening, the fact that she keeps this all a secret.
1: In both documentaries, Elanette seems like a very caring and together mother. But you do have to wonder, what was she doing during this time? And why didn't she help her daughter? Elanette claims that she had no idea all of this was going on. Cintoya didn't speak to her about anything. She didn't trust her. She was convinced that Elinette wouldn't keep any secrets to herself. I have a hard time with this because Elinette always just says, well, I didn't know she didn't tell me. How am I supposed to know if she did, doesn't tell me? And I'm not a parent, blah, 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 blah. But surely there must have been something. But then maybe when you've got a kid with a personality disorder and you know, incredibly difficult to deal with, behavioural problems, maybe it is just too hard. I don't know, but... It- it's so hard because
0: also the fact that by the age of 12, she was running away and going missing for days at a time, like, on one hand, you are like, why, why didn't Elinette do more? But what does that more look like? I don't know. Um, locking her in the house? I don't know. Calling the police? Like, probably not. There, I'm sure there was, there was a feeling of mistrust towards societal figures,
1: uh, authority figures possibly. Like, I don't know. In interviews later on, Elanette said that no one wants to think that their young daughter is experiencing sex, let alone with so many people, but that it wouldn't have changed her relationship with her daughter. I just can't get past the feeling that there are quite a lot of things about Sintoya's childhood that don't add up. And I don't know in what way 100% of the time, but I just can't shake it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that by the time she comes to Elanette, I think Elanette sort of is resigned to the fact that lots of fucked up things have already happened by that point. I think, like you said, she had a lot of behavioural problems, like Elanette says, and she runs away. She disappears for long periods of time. I think... Not that Elinette was in over her head, but that it would have been a very difficult situation to perhaps know how to approach or to even know what was going on. I don't want to completely say that she has no accountability for this, but I don't know. I don't know. It's really difficult. And never having been in that situation, how difficult it is, I, I can't even begin to understand. But when Sintoya was 16 and not living with Eleanor anymore, she met a 24-year-old man called Garyon McGlothan, which is, um I think, it's, it's up there. It's maybe ter- third tier of, like, best names we've come across on this um show. But, but he didn't really go by Gary and McGlothan too much. It's not very street, is it? No, it's not very street um, at all. It sounds like a chemistry teacher. It does. Or, like, Gary and McGlothan's fucking shortbread biscuits or some shit. I don't Gary know. and McGlothan's chicken pies. Exactly, something like that. Uh, So no, he didn't go by that name. Instead, he went by the rather street name of Cutthroat. Cutthroat with a K. As his name suggests, he's quite the gentleman. To Centoya, Cut was her boyfriend. She lived with him in various hotels and motel rooms in and around Nashville. And for all intents and purposes, Cut was in fact Centoya's pimp. He regularly threatened her with a gun, raped her, and let his friends rape her too. Cut kept Centoya close to him, using the classic ego breakdown tactics. Centoia said, quote, He would explain to me that some people were born whores, and that I was one, and I was a slut, and nobody would want me but him, and the best thing I could do was just learn to be a good whore. He sent Centoya out to sell her body for money regularly. And let's be careful here. Often we use the word sex worker instead of prostitution. But that is not what this is. Syntoia Brown was a victim of sex trafficking. And this is despite the fact that the law in Tennessee would not recognize that for years to come. We'll come on to that later in the episode. But let's be clear, that's what's going on here. So while living with Cut, Syntoia was taking cocaine on a regular basis. And it was under these circumstances... The teenage, trafficked runaway would meet the man that would change
1: the course of the rest of her life. On the 6th of August 2004, Cut told Cintoya that she needed to go out and earn some money. So she left the hotel she had been staying in and headed to the road. Her plan was to get a lift to an area called East Tennessee, where she knew a lot of sex work went on. I am not sure when Sintoya moved from Kentucky into Tennessee. I am aware that they are different states. Just don't know when it happened. But she started off in Kentucky. She's in Tennessee now. That's what you need to know. East Nashville, sorry. Just to the east of the state, please. Come on, Hannah, get a grip. East Nashville. So she knows a lot of sex work's going on there. So that's where she's headed. And we have to bear in mind here that all we have from this point on, for reasons that will become obvious and some of you may already know, we only have Sintoya's side of the story. And her side of the story goes as follows. Centoya walked until she was approaching something called Sonic, which appears to be a drive through fast food chain. We don't have much like it over here. I was even trying to think of it. Have I ever been to a drive through in this country? I think I have. I think there's a McDonald's on the A41 that used to have a drive through near Hemel. Oh, yeah.
0: There used to be a McDonald's in town, in my town. And they got rid of it because that's where all the teenagers used to hang out. And the Heritage Foundation was like, No more, no more McDonald's. And then they moved it all the way out to, like, the industrial estate. So it's just, like, surrounded by factories, and there's just, like, a McDonald's in the middle of it. And uh, so if you want a McDonald's, you've got to go drive-through.
1: Wow. Yeah, we used to go, uh, when we were at school and we were in sixth form, and we all had cars, we always used to go on lunch. On, like, lunch break. And definitely not see who could go the fastest down the A41. Right. (laughs) Never happened. I even tried to look at the menu, but... uh, it just gave me like an error message, but not even like a 503. It was just like, this website is not for you. <laughs> oh, even with your VPN? Yeah, Ooh. no, it didn't like it at all. Anyway, as Centoya approached the Sonic, a white van pulled up beside her and the driver asked her if she needed a ride. Driving the white van was 43-year-old
0: Johnny Allen, an estate agent who led Bible study at his local church. And he was also very active in his local community. but. He was no knight in shining armour for Cyntoia Brown. Johnny Allen offered the young girl a ride. And to put this into context, like, I really can't stress the word young enough here. Cyntoia may have been 16 when this happened, but she looks more like 14, I would say. She looks incredibly young.
1: Yeah, she's definitely a child. She's not. You know, a teenager approaching adulthood, it's very, very much the other way. So this man knows what he wants and it's not a woman.
0: So Cyntoia accepted the ride and pillar of the community, Johnny Allen, asked the teen if she was up for any action. Again, she looks so young. Fuck, it just makes my skin crawl. So Cyntoia did confirm with Johnny Allen that she was indeed up for some action and they negotiated a price they settled on $150 for sex. And, kindly pillar of the society, Johnny Allen even threw in a meal from the nearby Sonic for Cyntoia. Cyntoia suggested that they go back to the hotel that she had been staying in, but Johnny Allen insisted that they go back to his house instead. Now, this was something that Cyntoia had never done before. No one would know she was there, who she was with, or where she would end up. And above all cut... Her only lifeline. Wouldn't care if she lived or died.
1: Johnny Allen drove the 16 year old girl back to his house. He told her how important he was, how much volunteering he did, and how women only wanted him for his money. What he really wanted was a woman to make love to him with, quote, desire. He's an estate agent. It's not like he's tech startup guru. Anyway, it's not like he's tech startup guru Elon Musk. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> It's not like she gets to his house and um it just comes out of the ground like Tracy Island and like opens up like the Batcave. Like it's just quite a normal looking house.
0: The amount he goes on about himself and his importance and this old stuff about just wanting to be with a girl who or woman who desires him. Like it's all very incelly. They're very like, Oh, I wouldn't pay for sex. I want someone
1: to be with me because they actually want to be with me. But like But we do have to remember we don't really know if this is true. Yeah. This is Cintoya's yeah. side of the this story. This is Cintoya's version of what she says Johnny says. Yeah. When they got inside the house, Johnny showed Cintoya his gun collection. Uh, what he didn't know was that Cintoya had her own pistol in her handbag. Cintoya sat in Johnny Allen's kitchen and ate her food while he spoke to her about his life, reinforcing just how important he was and that he'd also been in the army and he was a really sharp shooter. Sonic cups were found in Allen's kitchen. So we at least know the sonic food bit of the story, to be true. Then Sintoya asked if they could go downstairs to watch TV. She claims that she did this so she could be closer to the door. She didn't manage to make it out of the door, so she asked Johnny Allen if they could go to sleep. Her plan was to wait for him to fall asleep and then sneak off into the night.
0: But Johnny Allen didn't fall asleep. He took off his clothes and lay down on his bed as Sintoya pretended to sleep, and he started to stroke her legs. She kept pretending to be asleep until he grabbed her between her legs really hard. He gave her a fierce look. Centoya thought that he was going to hit her. Then he turned towards his nightstand. And this was the moment the Centoya was struck with absolute and complete panic. Suddenly she realised that he wasn't going to hit her. He was going to get a gun from his bedside table and shoot her. Centoya decided that she was going to get there first so she reached into her handbag, pulled out her own gun and shot Jenny. She wasn't sure that she had killed him until she realised he wasn't moving and she heard his blood gushing onto the floor. Then Santoya grabbed Johnny Allen's wallet, his gun and the keys to his vehicle and drove off
1: in the documentary i'm pretty sure it's the earlier one she gives this really rapid description of what happened and it, she really is talking like a million miles a minute and she was like i didn't know what was going to happen had i killed him why wasn't he moving if he if he was alive he would have like moved from the noise Blah blah. blah. and like it just seems like it was this total blind panic spur of the moment action not that that makes it okay
0: No, I mean, I think it's the fact is that, you know, we don't know exactly what happened. We never will know. This is Santoya's side of the story. But like as somebody who has been in very violent, abusive situation with this pimp cutthroat and the way he treated her, like you can imagine that she would have been on a knife's edge, like her temperament, her like ability to be pushed over the edge into like a fight or flight situation. Of course, I'm not saying what happened here is okay, but I can see that panic ensuing, coming over like a mist and her just acting out of instinct.
1: Yeah, it's easy to forget, I think, that someone did actually die here. I think that is something that is skated over because, you know, I mean, I've made my opinion of what I think of Jolly Ann quite clear, a piece of shit, but like, that doesn't mean he deserved to die. If he had been arrested for soliciting sex, he probably wouldn't have even gone to prison. But its it's easy because of what happens because of Cintoya's story and it's very easy to immediately side with her and I think we have to be very careful because, you know, he does die. Alan's body was discovered naked in his bed and Cintoya didn't remain on the run for long. She was arrested and taken in for questioning. Footage of this interrogation is widely available and Cintoya looks so tiny and the officers interrogating her look absolutely fucking huge. They're literally like mountain men. They are really broad burly man and this is the thing i feel
0: like what we're about to go into like the way in which she's treated by the the police the justice system like everything that happens i think that's where it shifts and it makes it quite easy to forget that somebody died because up until that point yes she kills somebody it needs to be dealt with but i feel like it's also like unfair and biased and weighted against her from here on out that that's why, and that's where that sympathy for her comes from, at least like from everything you read about it.
1: Oh, and totally. how I felt. I mean, the police don't give a fuck, they just need a conviction, especially not for like what they term a teen prostitute. And she's black, and she's in the wrong area of town, oh. and she definitely shot him, and of she course. stole all his shit. Like they, exactly. they have a very clear picture of Sintoya Brown. Upon her arrest, of course, Sintoya Brown has read her Miranda rights and apparently studies show this is from the Netflix documentary. I don't know where this statistic has come from, um, but apparently 90 percent of juvenile defendants don't fully understand their Miranda rights and speak to the police without a lawyer present. These officers told Sintoya that if she cooperated with them and told them everything she knew, that they would speak to the district attorney for her and ensure that she was given a lighter sentence. And you spooky bitches will already know, because I love making this point, that in the United States, the police are allowed to lie directly to your face in order to get a confession. And that's exactly what they did here. In the UK, you cannot do that, but you have only not been able to do that since the 80s. It's very recent. And it's because it false confessions, etc, etc, etc. Go and listen to whatever the fuck episode it was or <laughs> did it properly. That's me doing my really great self-referencing. That was just for you, Twitter lady. So that's exactly what they did. They lied to her. They misled her. Or as they later put it in court, they, air quotes, exaggerated. They told this 16-year-old girl that unless she spoke to them and told them the truth, that she would get life in prison. Toya told the police the whole story just as you heard it. And she was transported to a juvenile detention centre in Tennessee where she would be held until they decided whether to try her as an adult or as a minor.
0: All 50 states of America allow the transfer of juveniles to the adult system for serious charges. In Tennessee, children as young as 12 years old have been transferred to adult prisons for homicide convictions. As Centoia was 16 years old, she was right on the cusp of criminal responsibility. If she was tried as a juvenile, she would remain in a juvenile detention center until she was 19 years old. But if she was tried as an adult, there were only two real options. Either she would serve life without parole or she would serve 60 years with the possibility of parole after 51 years. When you're 16, 51 years before parole, like, doesn't feel like there's a huge, vast difference between those two options to me.
1: I, don't, I really don't think so. I think they're the fucking same thing. Because what would she... Would she What's 16 plus 51? Yeah, so she'd be in her, you know, come on, man.
0: So before her hearing, to decide which path the state of Tennessee would decide Syntoia would follow, she underwent a host of psychiatric tests. She told Dr. William Burnett that she experienced severe mood swings that would leave her crying for weeks on end. Dr. Burnett confirmed that Syntoia had a serious personality disorder as a result of her upbringing, and she had almost no impulse control. Cyntoia herself said that she'll often find that she'll have every intent not to do something, but two seconds later she would find herself doing it. She constantly found herself stepping out of one bad situation straight into another one. All she wanted was to feel loved, so she did anything anyone told her in the pursuit of acceptance.
1: When shown a series of pictures depicting people doing different things and asked to tell the stories of the images, all the answers Centoya gave were violent, angry, chaotic, and none of them had a resolution. Sintoya displayed unusually high levels of anger and negative emotion. Dr. Burnett confirmed that Centoya's quote, severe personality disorder would have directly affected her actions on the night that she killed Johnny Allen. She had a deep mistrust of people and serious paranoia, which led her to believe that Johnny Allen was indeed reaching for a gun with the intent of killing her. Dr. Burnett stated that Syntoia needed, quote, a good, wholesome residential programme and that three years in juvenile detention, rather than an adult prison, would give her enough time to get on top of her issues. All of this psychiatric testing was presented at Syntoia's hearing, but it made no difference and at 16 years old it was decided by the state of Tennessee that Syntoia Brown would be tried as an adult on the charges of first-degree murder, felony murder and especially aggravated robbery. And that's not me being like, and especially aggravated robbery. That's apparently what the term is. I don't know what makes it especially rather than just aggravated. Who knows? God, yeah, I've never, I've never come across that term
0: before. But it sounds very like, it sounds very weird, doesn't mm, no, it? No, when I heard aggravated
1: it, robbery, well, and like read it in the notes, I was like, what? That does, that seems that seems very silly. But I mean, <laughs> lawyers, please tell us what especially aggravated robbery is. Maybe it's like the difference between GBH and ABH. I don't know. Weird. One product I use every single day without fail is my satin pillowcase from Kitsch. It's been amazing for my hair and my skin. Plus, they come in a bunch of different colours and patterns, so I got myself one that works great with the rest of my bedding. And Kitsch don't just do satin pillowcases. They offer a whole range of game-changing beauty essentials that I just can't get enough of. Whatever your budget, skin type or hair type, Kitsch believes that you deserve those little indulgences at affordable prices. You must have seen their viral heatless satin curling rollers. They work your huge on TikTok. They take five minutes to put on and they completely remove any risk of heat damage. Kitsch is greatest craze is rice water shampoo bars which can improve your overall hair growth and density plus little tip you can take a shampoo bar on a flight no problem right now kitsch is offering you 25 percent off your entire order at mykitch.com slash red-handed that's right 25 percent off anything and everything at my that's k-i-t-s-c-h dot com slash red-handed one more time mykitch.com slash red-handed for 25 percent off your order Did you know socks, t-shirts and underwear
0: are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? Well, they are. And Bombas are doing something about it. They make ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donate one for every item they sell. Bombas's one purchased equals one donated commitment has helped customers donate over 100 million items of clothing to people facing homelessness. That's a lot of good done by people just buying the Bombas that they would wear every day anyway. And once you try Bombas, you'll understand why so many people have purchased and donated. Whether it's their arch-supporting socks, their buttery soft tees, or the underwear so comfy you'll forget you're wearing it, Bombas has got you covered for the basics. I've loved wearing Bombas's athletic socks to the gym, their sweat wicking material, impact cushioning and blister defence has been an absolute dream. So ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombass.com redhanded and use code redhanded for 20% off your first order. That's bombass, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com redhanded and use code redhanded at checkout for 20% off your first purchase.
1: Be healthy, be healthy, be healthy. How though? What does that even mean? Why won't everyone stop saying it? Ironically, I have almost lost my mind trying to figure out how to be healthy in a way that works for me. But I realised my main issue in the pursuit of health and happiness begins in the supermarket. But then I discovered Thrive Market. And I couldn't believe I hadn't heard of them before. Not only can I order all of my grocery and household essentials quickly shipped to my front doorstep, Their selection of foods is so good and so good for you. The brands they sell only have the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. And I'm actually saving money on every single order because I am a Thrive Market member. Don't be jealous. I'm saving 30% on average each time. And they have an amazing deal page that always has my favourite brands on offer. Not to mention when you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching programme. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash redhanded for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash redhanded thrivemarket.com slash redhanded.
0: New legal system meant a new legal team for the teenager and they quickly got to work on her defense. On the 21st of August 2006, the trial of now 18-year-old Centoia Brown began. The prosecution's case was simple. Centoia was a teen prostitute who went to Johnny Allen's house with the express intention of robbing him. She had waited for him to fall asleep before shooting him, execution-style in the back of the head, stealing his money, guns and car, and delivering them back to her boyfriend, slash pimp, cut. This account was supported by a medical examiner who pointed out that Johnny Allen had died facing away from Cintoya, with his hands folded one over the other. This is used as evidence that he was asleep and not reaching for anything. They make it sound like his hands were interlaced. But they aren't really. And we can see a situation where your hands would fall like that if you were shot in the head. But on the other hand, Johnny Allen died very much on the bed and you could argue that if he had been reaching for the nightstand and then had been shot might he not have fallen out of the bed from that impact rather than having remained in the bed when he died
1: it's tricky because like she definitely definitely did shoot him in the back of the head and then take all of his stuff But you could argue that if he was asleep, why would she not just steal the stuff and leave and just like sneak out? Why is she shooting him as well? It's not like he's holding his own hands or they're just like under his uh, head like in Disney films when the princesses go to sleep. I can see both situations. I can see both arguments. I don't think his hand position is particularly conclusive i can see how he could have been reaching and that's how they fall and the medical examiner says that that's what they're there when he shot but i just don't really see how you can prove that
0: no i don't know it's it's so complicated because she's so young so we can't be like well here's a history of her behaving like this like she's consistently been a victim her entire life up until that point we don't know what happened that night but if she was such a badass or just like go around fucking shooting people and stealing their stuff like i don't know Why was she not able to defend herself with the same level of, like, rigour when she was being raped by Cut's friends and stuff like that? Like, I don't know. I feel like it makes more sense to me, based on how much of a victim she had been previously, that it had
1: been a panicked response, like she says. But again, you just don't know. You just don't know. The prosecution asked Syntoya why, if she was so scared of Johnny Allen, she had eaten with him, watched TV with him, and got in bed next to him. Come the fuck on. (laughs) I know. Uh, well, if he was so threatening, 16-year-old girl on your own without a friend in the world, and if she doesn't go back to that hotel with money, she's probably going to get raped. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Why, do you, why do you hang out with him? Why didn't you just say, no, sir, I'd like to leave, please. Sh- Goodbye. A oh, fuck off. The fact that Centoya had stolen from Johnny Allen didn't do her any favours. Either she was described as a child prostitute out on the rob, up to no good. Details of her traumatic childhood were not dwelt upon.
0: I mean... I think this is the really difficult thing. I feel like what were the defense team doing that her entire traumatic childhood, everything she had been through weren't like front and center of her defense argument. Like this is such a common link. Like so many academics I've been reading about like sort of sex trafficking and so many academics talk about this isn't some like new idea that sort of what they call what they literally call the sexual abuse to prison pipeline. And studies into this have shown that girls in juvenile detention centers, this study was only in the US, so that's what we're talking about. 80% of girls in juvenile detention systems in the US had been sexually abused in their childhoods. And disproportionately, the majority of girls in juvenile justice systems there are black, of color, Native American, Latinx. Like that's There's a link there, isn't there? And Syntoia falls perfectly within that. How this wasn't dwelt upon, how this wasn't front and centre of their argument in her defence baffles me.
1: What were they doing? And it's not like this was in the black and white times. This is 2004. This is the thing that is shocking. This is in in the 2000s.
0: And they didn't make this the keystone of their case. like, I don't get it. I don't understand what's going
1: on here. Yeah, I mean, it's ineffective counsel, that's for sure. The prosecution also played a recording of a phone call between Cintoya and Elanette, And in this call, Cintoya says, I executed him, mommy. She sort of says, you don't understand what I've done. I killed him. I executed him. And Elanette told the court that her daughter had always told her that she had shot Johnny out of fear. She'd never lied about it. And this phone call was not a changed confession. It was her desperate daughter telling her to leave her behind and, quote, don't waste your time on me.
0: And this is the thing, Centoia seems very wrapped with feelings of guilt and negativity and worthlessness. And I feel like for her to say, I executed him, I believe, Eleanor, that she's saying it to be like, I'm a terrible person. I did this. You should just forget about it.
1: Forget about me. And that's what she will have been told by prison guards, by police officers, certainly by the prosecution in trial that she has to sit through. I think this might actually be 2006. She's 18 when she goes to criminal trial. The difference from 16 to 18 is, is nuts. It's a different person. Ow. She looks totally different. But, you know, two years in adult prison will probably do that to any 16-year-old. <sighs> and that phone call really does strike me as she's just, she just needs help. She's trying to, like... I'm a very guilt-driven person, thanks Catholicism. So, like, if I've done something... I need to tell every single person in my life or I can't move past it like I can't get through it and that's absolutely because I was forced to do confession as a kid but I've never been able to get rid of it like I need to I need to tell people otherwise I feel like keeping the secret is even worse so I it's it could be that also
0: I do think that her saying this and her sort of using that phraseology is very congruent with the kind of person that we know she is and the kind of challenges she's facing personally and emotionally and her personality. So I'm not really surprised by that. I don't massively feel like it is an admission of of an execution style hit, like the
1: prosecution is saying. And also worth pointing out, I think, that Santoya stuck by her version of events. Not a single detail of her story has changed over the years. She has always said that she shot Johnny Allen because she thought he was going to shoot her. Sintoya's defense pointed out that in order for an arrest to be lawful, the reading of the Miranda rights to the defendant must be knowing, intelligent, and voluntary while awaiting trial. Sintoya was taken through her Miranda rights by Dr. Burnett, and it was pretty clear that she had no idea that she had a right to a free lawyer. She sort of reels off the first few lines of the Miranda rights because she'd seen it on cops, and everyone knows that bit, and everyone just does it in the same sort of rhythmic thing but that's she didn't understand what it meant, and she certainly didn't understand that she didn't legally have to speak to the officers who interrogated her what he does dr Burnett, he's an amazing man he takes her through line by line of her miranda rights and he asks her to put it into her own words only then does she understand so her understanding of her miranda rights was certainly not knowing and therefore not lawful the officers who interrogated Sintoya admitted to exaggerating what they could do to help her The jury deliberated for six hours and returned a guilty verdict on all three counts. And Cyntoia Brown, at 18 years old, was sentenced to life in prison. So let's have a look at what that actually means. She'd already served 18 months and her earliest release date was 2055, where she would be in her 60s. And when it comes to juvenile defendants, is it right... To just throw their lives away. Isn't the whole concept of homicide being the most heinous crime that human life is precious and not up to any human to take it away? Is it not the same thing?
0: It's so complicated and it comes obviously to the argument we have a lot on this show about what is the prison system really there for. The idea of putting somebody who committed a a crime as a child, she's 16 when this happens, into an adult prison around hardened criminals is in one thing atrocious and then secondly to give her life for something she did as a child i'm never going to be okay with that regardless of who did it i just can't bring myself to being okay with that
1: have you seen that tweet that's like roses are red uh i don't know fucking biscuits are savory the u.s prison system is legalized slavery yeah
0: good rhyming and also facts <laughs> like <laughs> uh, i don't know the prison industrial complex in the u.s the kind of, obviously we're not talking about non-violent drug offences here, we're talking about homicide, but just the war on drugs, the the toughening of the sentencing rules, the, all of that, like, in the US. What is it, the country in the world with the number one rate of incarceration? I can't remember if it's US or China, but it's it's one or the other. Like, US is either number one or it's number two, or it's number two. And leave alone the fact that Sintoya is mixed race. I mean, just love fucking putting people of colour in prison.
1: I will, I've said it once and I will say it again. Go and watch the 13th on Netflix. You've all got fuck all else to do. That is your homework this week.
0: We're not going to get into... I'm going to save my rage on the uh, George Floyd debacle, travesty, mm. whatever we want to call it, the rage-inducing behaviour that's going on right now um, until under the duvet. I think if we start talking about it now, I will never get back on track and talk about Santoya So let's stick to the plan.
1: But uh, yeah. Under the duvet for some some rage, I reckon. The most heartbreaking shot in either documentary is Cintoya calling Elanette from prison after her sentencing and telling her mother that she had been given life in prison. She doesn't seem upset. She only seems concerned about her mum. She says, I got life, mummy. Don't stress yourself out. That's the only thing that would get to me. We still have things we can do. I'm still going to get old. It's just a change of plan. Oh my God, that is so so hard Howling like a baby Brown. the first time I watched that. Jesus Christ. And you're right. It's
0: completely encapsulates Syntoia's personality and what drives her and what motivates her. It's more about other people being let down by her, by her not being accepted, by her maybe not being loved because of what's happened. And it sums it up there. So during her time in prison, as a teenager, Syntoia Brown was subjected to 10 months in solitary confinement. What the fuck? Why? Why are you putting a teenager in solitary confinement?
1: I mean, I'm sure they have all sorts of arguments for it. They would probably argue it's for her own protection. Probably, is what they would say. Get her away from the Maybe adults. Don't fucking
0: put her in a juvenile detention centre. Don't stick her in a fucking adult prison and then be like, for her own well-being, we need to put her in solitary confinement.
1: Fuck you. That's what they always say about the nonces, isn't it, though? That they get put in... Solitary confinement for their own protection.
0: Of course. So, during this time, in solitary confinement, as a teenager, Cintoya used this as a period of self-reflection, examining her difficult relationship with men and realising her power and ability. Her biggest regret was not being honest with her mother, Elanette. She stated that she was content with fighting for her freedom and maintaining her sanity. And that's where the first documentary that was made by Daniel Berman over a period of seven years leaves Cintoya Brown. But it is far from where her story ends. After five years in prison, a new pro bono team assembled to appeal Cintoya's conviction. They had been motivated by watching the documentary at screening. Jay Houston Gordon was sure that there was more to her story that the court just hadn't heard. Her new legal team were particularly struck by the interviews in the Me Facing Life documentary, in which Georgina, Syntoia's biological mother, detailed her alcohol abuse during her pregnancy with Syntoia. So they set about finding the best experts in fetal alcohol syndrome, with the intention of getting Syntoia post-conviction relief. Syntoia's appeal took place over two days in November 2012. She was 24 years old, and by this point, she'd been inside for eight years. An expert witness told the appeals board that alcohol is one of the most toxic poisons to a fetus. It can have devastating effects. And he concluded that Sintoya displayed alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder, resulting in serious
1: impairment. Sintoya's IQ was much higher than her neuropsychological test results. Her functional abilities were determined to be, quote, terrible. Even the equivalent to someone with, again, quote, I'm not saying the word, mild retardation. And she's crying as they're reading this in the courtroom. Like they're literally just not—I mean, not looking her in the face—and obviously they're trying to like get her a shorter sentence. But imagine hearing that like you are severely impaired. It would have
0: further compounded probably that feeling that she'd always had that her biological mother never really wanted her. Obviously, Georgina was dealing with some massive trauma, massive issues, and that's why she had been drinking so severely. But to feel like before I was even born, my mother was doing things that were because she didn't care about me, which is what Sintoya always felt.
1: Yeah, they've got, they talked to her about it in, um, in the documentary and asked her and she's like, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm trying not to let it get me down, but I still heard it. It was also noted by this expert witness that, that people with the same issue as Sintoya have a markedly higher rate of run-ins with the law. The prosecution counsel from Sintoya's original crime trial refuted these claims, pointing out that Sintoya's biological mother, Georgina, was now serving eight years for drug trafficking and was hardly a reliable witness. He argued that there was no proof that alcoholism played a part in Sintoya's gestation at all despite her test results indicating that she showed significant signs of fetal alcoholism spectrum disorder. That baffled me. He was just, like, well, we don't know, we don't know it's true when she clearly has like signs of it. It's uh, oh,
0: And it's a scientifically proven thing. It's not like some random mumbo jumbo that the defense is just coming up with.
1: The judge acknowledged that Sintoya had a disorder but did not give her any post-conviction relief. Her life sentence remained intact. Instead of giving up, sintoya decided that she couldn't just throw her life away. She decided to study for a degree whilst in prison. And she later said, quote, I thought to myself, why am I only just now finding out that there's no such thing as a teen prostitute? Why are teenagers who are trafficked, like I was, being exploited and taken advantage of, but society has just been telling us we're bad, that we're promiscuous? That was when I realised we need to start educating one another about what's happening to young girls. Not talking about waist trainers on contouring and just how to be desirable to men. That was one of the direct reasons why I found myself in a hotel room with a man who trained me to do just that. It took me 10 years to come to grips with the fact that I was actually a victim of trafficking. For the first time, Sintoya saw herself as a victim of abuse.
0: Isn't it unbelievable? Because obviously we were raging at the original defence counsel for not putting forward any remnants of her past, the trauma she had been through, the victimisation she had been through. But it is only now, after all this time in prison, that even Toya saw herself as a victim of abuse. Leave alone what her defence counsel were going to do to bring it up to a court of law. Fuck, that's so tragic. So on the outside... Millions of people were about to learn the name Cintoya Brown. The law in Tennessee changed. Had Cintoya been tried under the new legislation, she would have been seen as a victim of sex trafficking and of sexual predators, not a, quote, teen prostitute. It was no longer lawful for a minor to be sentenced as a prostitute. The law surrounding transferring juveniles into the adult system had also been relaxed. So in November 2017, Centoya's case was snapped up by Stacey Case at Fox News 12. And none of this is to say that had Centoya been tried in 2017, she would have been found not guilty. But she would have definitely been given a lighter sentence. And she would have been eligible for parole much earlier. So this news report done by Stacey Case swept around the world. And soon, hashtag free Syntoia Brown was being tweeted by the likes of Rihanna Cara Delevingne, LeBron James, and of course, Kim Kardashian, who even sent one of her very own lawyers to fight Santoya's case. Just a month after her story went viral, Santoya Brown filed for clemency on the 19th of December. A clemency hearing is a real last chance motel. It is when a prisoner appeals to the governor of their state for a pardon or a commutation of their sentence. Commutation was what Santoya wanted, she wanted a murder in the second degree sentence, not a first degree murder one. Because had she been tried in 2017, it is likely that she would have received a second degree conviction in the
1: first instance. Sintoya's clemency documentation included a letter from her directly to the governor, accompanied by supporting letters from lawyers, teachers and psychiatrists alike that had come into contact with Sintoya through her time in prison. All of them sing the praises of an incredible woman who has worked as hard as she could to turn herself around. Essentially, these letters have to convince the governor of Tennessee that Cintoya Brown was worth more to society on the outside than she was behind bars. And one of the most poignant letters of support came from Appellate Prosecutor Preston Shipp, who had been on the team upholding Cintoya's original conviction during her appeals process before he ever met her. Years later, he realised that the young woman he had recommended stay in prison until she was in her 70s was the best in his class. He describes her as luminous. And he attended her clemency hearing and read a statement in her favour. He just couldn't equate that the Cintoya he met in class was the Cintoya that he had actually, he'd said, yeah, 51 years, that's it. Good job. And he apologised to her when he realised who she was and she just said, "Uh, you're only doing your job. How are you to know? She's incredible. When Cintoya herself addressed the clemency board made up of six people whose job it was to advise the governor on his decision, she said, quote, what I did was horrible. I killed Johnny Allen. He's gone and it stayed with me this whole time. I was locked up at 16, like that was it. I have no choice but to live a different life. After the clemency hearing, which only 2% of inmates are ever granted, the six officials were not in agreement. Two thought that sintoya's sentence should remain the same, two thought that it should be lessened to 25 years, and the two left thought that the sentence should be reduced to one appropriate for second-degree murder, which could mean an imminent release. All these people can do is advise. The final decision was down to Governor Bill Haslam alone. And in January, he came to a decision.
0: Cyntoia Brown's sentence was commuted to 15 years, which meant that she would be moved from general population into a transferal slash re-entry programme and released from prison in August the same year. Governor Bill Haslam told NBC News, quote, Imposing a life sentence on a juvenile that would require her to serve at least 51 years before even being eligible for parole is too harsh, especially in light of the extraordinary steps Miss Brown has taken to rebuild her life. He also added that Santoya Brown, quote, really had done what we hope happens when people are incarcerated. And with this, obviously, we talked about the fact that lots of celebrities came out and were backing Santoya, rightfully so. But you do have to wonder how much celebrity pressure and the Twitter sphere had to do with this decision. So is it possible that granting Syntoia clemency was meant just as a distraction from the almost 200 other people who remain incarcerated on the mandatory life sentence for crimes they committed as minors? Possibly. I don't know. A question I do have, or did have, about the whole Syntoia Brown case was the Stand Your Ground law. Not every state has it, so uh, some states do. Tennessee is one of those states that has the stand-your-ground law. In that case, and the stand-your-ground law, just as a refresher, we have spoken about it uh, briefly. Again, I can't remember in which episode, but it was in the episode, whichever it was, where we were talking about that man Zimmerman when he shot Trayvon Martin. Just as a refresher, basically the stand-your-ground law in states that do apply it is that an individual has no duty to retreat From any place where they have a lawful right to be, that they may use any level of force if they reasonably believe the threat rises to the level of being an imminent and immediate threat of serious bodily harm. So Tennessee has this. I guess you could be like, well, they have a lawful right to be, but she was invited into that house. She was there as somebody who had been invited by the person who lived there to be in that property. And I wondered why. Why did the defence never bring this up as a stand-your-ground argument? Because you don't have to show anything. They just have to reasonably believe. The person who commits the murder or does the shooting or whatever it may be only has to reasonably believe that they are at imminent and immediate threat of serious bodily harm. There doesn't have to even be any kind of gun being waved about. They're just a threat or perceived threat is enough yeah
1: so why was that never brought up i mean there's an invisible footnote to that law which is only counts if you're a white man and the person you're shooting is black yeah that's that's literally it yeah
0: and it is a valid point to bring up because um i I really really when we were reading this i really was like why is that never mentioned anywhere so actually when i did look at it you're totally right hannah because I found I found a study that had been done into this and it really does feel like the law the stand your ground law is uh, particularly selective about who the law deems to be worthy of self defense and worthy to stand their ground because apparently a 2013 paper from the Urban Institute that was analyzed by the FBI found that the stand your ground law was only justifiable apparently in a legal sense in 17% of cases where a white person shot a black person but only one percent of cases when a black person shot a white person that is astonishing it feels like when you look at those statistics it feels like a get out of jail free card for white people to kill black people or people of color because they perceive a threat and that's how it's being applied in a legal sense
1: It's horrific. It's no secret that Tennessee is a pretty right wing place to be. And I just think it is actually, you know, fuck it, I'm going to say it is impossible to imagine a world where the governor of Tennessee would grant clemency to a black woman who shot a white man if it hadn't been for international celebrity pressure. I think that's it. And it's it's a smokescreen because he's like, oh, well, the laws have changed now, but I don't actually have to do anything about the hundreds of people who were given mandatory life sentences for stuff they did as children as long as everyone... look. It's just like, look over there. Look at Cintoya Brown. Like, it's not... It's a smokescreen. I
0: agree. I do agree. And I also feel like she wasn't released because of the Stand Your Ground law. It wasn't like that's what they were using retrospectively. They were released because now she was being recognised as a victim of sex trafficking. It still wasn't because they were saying that it was in self-defense it felt like it just felt like oh well fine we'll accept that now she's a victim of, of sex trafficking so like off you go and look and look she's she's really turned her life around in prison the stuff that Santoya brown did in prison to turn her life around feels like it was probably despite the fact that she'd been put in an adult prison at the age of 16 not because she was mm-hmm. in prison so angry <laughs> Angry at the award, angry at the fucking judicial system, angry at this fucking stand-your-ground
1: bullshit. Like, I need, I need a chill pill. Right, so in August 2019, Cintoya Brown was released from prison. She went in at 16 and came out at 31 after 15 years incarcerated. And I know everyone changes after a decade and a half, but she really is a completely different person. Like, the way she moves, the way she talks, absolutely everything is different. Have a look at the documentaries and you'll see what we mean. So where is she now? Santoya has dedicated her life to God and helping women like her. She's also written a book and got herself an extremely good-looking husband. My God, he's fit! I couldn't get over it.
0: <laughs> I haven't actually seen a picture of him.
1: Oh, he's hot! I think even think you would think he's hot. Even I would think. He's hot. <laughs> You're pickier than I am. I'll shag anything. Uh... Oh yeah, he's hot. Aha, confirmed. <laughs> Saruti approved. Good for you. Good for you, girl. <laughs> So, uh, hot husband is called Jamie Long. He's a Christian hip-hop musician, and he actually married Cyntoia while she was in prison. He saw her on the news and felt compelled by God to write to her. He burned the edges of his letter to make sure it stood out from the crowd. Four months after this letter was sent, he went to visit Cyntoia in prison and claims that he knew as soon as he saw her that Cyntoia was his wife. I can't even get a fucking text back out here, man. What? Uh, Mate... I know, she's getting burnt edges letters in prison.
0: I'm like, Santoya, mate, tell us, tell us your tips. What happened? Like? Well,
1: starts off going to prison at 16. Yeah, I mean, okay, something else. Um, Maybe it's getting on the news. Maybe I should just do like a big streak or something and then someone will be like, that's my wife. I don't know why <laughs> streaking my was wife. my immediate <laughs> place to go. I don't know. Show off those goods,
0: Hannah. You go streaking. I'm not going to stop you. But no, if anybody does know any um, eligible, normal men out there who maybe want to date a couple of podcast hosts, I don't know. Send them our way, please. <laughs> Send me a burnt edge letter. I'm not even kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when Sintoya got out of prison, her gorgeous husband had already got a house ready for her in Nashville. He'd even filled the wardrobe with clothes. He's amazing. Oh my God, stop. No, I couldn't, like, I can't. I refuse to stop. He's the best. And uh, the couple still live in Nashville to this day. Cintoya will remain on parole until 2029. And that does come with serious restrictions. She won't be able to vote until her parole is lifted. But Cintoya is determined to continue to help people in the same situation she found herself in all those years ago. When she first went to prison, she struggled with anger and
0: shame. She said, quote, I blame myself for a lot of the situations that I was in and I was really harsh on myself. And it was a process of learning to forgive myself, to understand that every situation was one that I was placed in. It wasn't like I was just willingly making these decisions. I was a child. She hopes that people can learn from her story, saying, quote, I think if I had met someone who had been through those situations and who could tell me, how they got through it, how I could avoid some of the same mistakes that they made, that I could see myself in that person, I think it would have made a big difference. So she has set up a non-profit called the Foundation for Justice, Freedom and Mercy to help speak on behalf of all the other Centoias who are still locked up. Her goal is to advocate for legislation that would change in particular how juveniles are sentenced. And she attained that goal on February the 25th of this year, 2020, when she testified in front of the Tennessee Senate for the passage of a new bill, SB 69, by Democratic state senator in Memphis. This bill would reduce the amount of time a juvenile who is serving a life sentence with parole from 51 to 30 years. And as if that wasn't enough, she created the grassroots learning initiative for teen trafficking, exploitation and rape also known as glitter.
1: And there is, of course, a reasonably large Netflix-shaped elephant in the room that we have not yet discussed. The streaming giant repurposed a lot of footage from the Berman documentary, which was made in 2011, well, released in 2011. It was made over several years. They did not consult Syntoya at all. And this is strange because at the end of the documentary, you can make your own minds up whether you're going to watch it or not, But at the end of the documentary, there's a shot of Sintoya sort of walking down a path as an adult, very much not in prison. So what I don't understand, if all of the footage was repurposed from the Berman documentary and Sintoya didn't consent to that, how do they have a shot of her at 32 at the end that they round off the documentary with? I don't know. Maybe they got it from a news channel. Maybe they bought it from someone. That's obviously entirely possible. And we know that she didn't, I don't know if consent is the right word. She wasn't consulted on this documentary, which, because she tweeted, my husband and I were as surprised as everyone else when we first heard the news because we did not participate in any way. This tweet has now been deleted, but it has led to a lot of people boycotting the documentary. There are some rumours that Netflix has now teamed up with Cintoya and will be promoting her book via an exclusive interview, but I couldn't really find anything confirming that. Uh, Many news outlets have reached out to Netflix for comment, but they have not been forthcoming. I don't know what the procedure is there. Aren't there laws against people in prison making money off their shit? You know, like, because I think people's main issue is that Netflix haven't paid her. And then, you know, making all of this money and using her story. And I understand that. And she wrote a book when she was in prison. She's clearly making money off that. But I don't think it was published while she was in prison.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the legalities behind that um, or the technicalities. It feels unethical. From the outside, but again, we don't know. We don't know what really happened. Like I guess, like you said, everyone should just make up their own
1: minds about whether they want to watch it and support yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. B- boycott it if you want. But it seems like Cintoya has not made any, any outright requests for no. her followers to take any sort of action. What comes next for Cintoya? Only time can tell. She seems to have a lot of projects in the work, uh, in the works, a lot of irons in the fire, and her overarching goal remains and always has been. Quote, using my experiences to help other women and girls suffering abuse and exploitation. And
0: there are so many girls and women who do need her help, especially women and girls of colour, I think, because I just think there's absolutely no denying that institutional and structural racism, like we talk about all the time on this show, permeates every layer of our societies. But specifically here talking about the US, it absolutely keeps black people and people of colour stuck in poverty. And I was reading some interesting reports on sort of sex trafficking, human trafficking. And I think we've mentioned this before Again, don't know which episode. There's more slavery today than there has ever been because of the sex trade, because of what's going on in that space. And when you keep people of colour, black people in a state of poverty because of structural racism, it absolutely makes women and girls from those communities way more at risk to things like sex trafficking and generally getting in the trouble with the law things like that. And as if you need me to say this, it isn't just speculation because I looked this up because I read it a really long time ago, but the Bureau of Justice in the US conducted a 2-year study into all national human trafficking cases in the US. And the stats they released are shocking, but not wholly surprising based on what I just said to be perfectly honest because they found that 94% of sex traffic of sex trafficking victims in the US were women were women and girls, but they found that 40% of confirmed sex trafficking victims were black. This is despite the fact that black people only make up around 13% of the US population. So it's clear that the victims of sex trafficking are disproportionately black women and girls. And also they found that most of the buyers, I guess, do we call them? I don't know if that's the right terminology, but the, the buyers involved with sex trafficking are often upper to middle class white men. In some counties that they studied in this particular report they did, the percentage of buyers were as high as 80% white men. So there, it, there, there is a huge disproportionate issue here in who is being victimised and who are the people perpetrating it. So yeah, I think there, there can be no argument that her race played a part in this in terms of her risk of sex trafficking and then also potentially in the way that the justice system dealt with her with the whole stand your ground thing
1: yeah so you know the evidence is out there just open your eyes (laughs) um stop denying that race affects things because it does and
0: that's that and the studies prove it so it's not our opinion and that is my hot take (laughs) yep that's our hot take uh race affects shit in light of everything that's going on we didn't know when we chose this episode everything that was going to be going on um in the us at the time of the release but yeah we're going to talk about that more in under the duvet So if you would like to, you can come on over and join us there if you are a $5 and up patron. Otherwise, what else? Guys, please, 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 please. We're going to keep going on about this. Just please go vote for us in the listener's choice. And also, like we said, get your hands on some merch if you would like it. And if you would like to listen to some Patreon bonus content, we've got some fucking great content coming out for you this month. We have got an interview with the former defence counsel for Jodie Arias, Kirk, Nurmi, We're going to be releasing that at some point. I can't remember because the calendar's not in front of me. We've also got an interview with a lady whose child was actually diagnosed as a psychopath. And she's going to be talking to us all about that in some bonus content we've got coming out later this month. So if you would like to, come on over to Patreon to listen to it. So here are some lovely people who have um, been patrons probably for like two
1: years because we've just got to their names <laughs> that we're going to say thank you to. Kelsey Mills, Catherine Little, Sasha, Caitlin Nevels, Heather Turner, Jennifer Crabtree, Dawn Louise Campbell, Brianna Kobliakka, Sinead McInnes, that's my Sinead. Hi, Sinead. Sinead did our um, announcements for our live show. Um, she did the hello audience. Uh, <laughs> turn off your phones, etc. And she lives up the road from me. And she came to the pig farm. She filled the, filmed the pig farm for us. Hannah Rudman Demi Smith Saruti stop hitchhiking No um, Well I mean she can't do anything Can no. she in the middle of a fucking pandemic I'm trying. She can hitchhike in her mum's car To Sainsbury's <laughs> Oh guys I know It's been a long time Chris Stevenson Faith Catherine Schwab Jessica Charity Watson Casey Blasso Hannah Williams Kathy Holden Rebecca Jennifer Dodd Ellen Grimas uh, Maya Matsunaga Denise KW Laurie Hedges, Melissa Finnegan, Claire Slattery, Sonia O'Brien, Kate Mock, Phoebe Dales, Louise Williams. Oh, my God. I'm so hungry that, like, my vision just went a bit funny. Oh, um, no. Larissa, Rick Comer, Cherry Sun. I mean, it's my own fault for not getting up early. enough to eat anything. Cherry Sun, Sue O, Becky Higgins, I'll Jessica go. Van Leer. Tag. okay, Tag team. Michelle Burchell, Mrs. Boss,
0: Steffi Cash. Cash? Yep. Corin Hallett, Amy Scholl, Anna F, Emily O'Neill, Wren, Victoria Bishop, Laura Kirshop. Kirsch Kursop. Yeah, sorry. I tr- it's like I just made it rhyme. It doesn't rhyme. Caroline Brindle, Mary Fish, oh Ro, Ro Ron Ronwin Valdre, and Craig Dilk Dilk. Dilk, yeah. Uh Kimberly Matin, uh Shahira Marasi, uh, Carly Christine, Emmy Hiddick, Alex Rowell, Miriam, I'm going to go with Miriam Murphy, Amanda Lays, Charlotte Dunstan, Nikki Sims, Katie Charman Smith, Jen Mack, Madeline Jordan, Jess Young, Kate Carmen, Tara Barrett, 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 oh my god, it's just Barrett. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Jake Perry, Sarah, uh, Mariana Vasconcelos, L.M. Harter, Natasha Fuller, Karina Coot, Selina Millington, Z- Zakaya Kelly, Colleen Sikorski, Kate Bradshaw, Holly Bowler, Angel Kagler, Jen McCormack, Mackenzie McDaniel, Max, Hannah Davis, Elizabeth Mitchell, Jessica Allen Summers, Betty Patton, Payton, uh, Kiara Morgan, Lou Staniland, Tory Childs, Carlil, uh, Jeffrey Rocket, Brittany Durr, Lisa Marie Forge, Rosie Grace, Sammy 184, L84, don't know, uh, Laura Lynch, Berchura, Stephanie Johnson, Stacy, and Anna Gray. Thank you guys so much. Ooh. That's it, guys. So, yeah. yeah. We'll see you. See you under the duvet. And then next week. Goodbye. Bye. Prime members, you can listen to Red Handed early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free on Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Hey, you. Before you go, tell us a little bit about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
1: The wait is over.
0: So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience.
1: Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen
0: of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything.
1: You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that.
0: New cases.
1: She wanted to fight me. Judy Justice, only
0: on Freebie.